Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 1 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a five-part case. The second and third instalments will be available next week. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. When asked if they wanted to visit the property on Cromwell Street, the jury were unanimous in their decision. They were transported to the scene by bus. The windows were covered and jurors were told not to talk to anyone. The route they would make on foot from the rear of the house into the building was shielded from view. It was vital the numerous camera crews still filming the property did not record the jury. They walked single file from the top of the home moving down floor by floor until they reached the cellar and the horrors that were perpetrated within it. White ribbons marked where each body had been found. The three-storey Edwardian end-of-terrace property, a few hundred yards away from the main shopping centre in Gloucester, looked much like every other house that lined the narrow street. A church for seven-day Adventists was positioned nearby, and the city cathedral was only a short walk away. Some properties on that unremarkable street were no longer occupied, left empty ravaged by time. Others had been divided into bed and breakfast accommodation or split into a multitude of flats. 25 Cromwell Street was seen by neighbours as a bustling household, 
A large family occupied the property with numerous lodgers passing through. A string of guests who walked under the lucky horseshoe that hung above the door. The garden, on which a patio had been laid, was small. An extension was constructed, leaving the outdoor space feeling enclosed, surrounded by trees and a high wall that bordered the garden. Fred, a small but stocky man, always put on a pleasant face and was nothing but courteous to his friends and neighbours. Apart from special occasions, he seldom wore anything smart, often choosing to dress in the clothing he needed while working as a builder. Fred was somewhat narcissistic and relished overinflating his achievements, but this did not seem to concern his circle of workmates or acquaintances, who found his tall tales harmless and even entertaining. The man with overgrown sideburns and curly black hair never seemed to lose his temper and was viewed as easygoing. He was polite, and above all things, from the outside in, he looked to be a devoted father. He frequently took his family away on holidays to the seaside, visiting the beaches on the southwest coast of England. When describing Fred, a friend would later tell a reporter for the Standard newspaper, you would have invited him into your own home with open arms. He was so nice. Most of the socialising Fred West did was with guests at his home on Cromwell Street. In the early 1990s, Fred, in his early 50s, worked as a builder and a handyman, finding employment where he could. He had previously supported himself through odd jobs and even selling ice cream when he lived in Scotland with his previous wife. Along with his second wife, Rose, then in her late 30s, they had raised their eight children and two children from Fred's previous marriage. They had been living on Cromwell Street for around 20 years. Several of the West children were now adults and had since moved out, although five of their siblings still remained at the address. She wore a pair of oversized glasses and had short, dark brown hair. Rose West met her husband Fred when she was a teenager. They'd been together ever since. The children were always well turned out for school, well behaved and appeared well fed. To the outside world, they were a happy, quiet family that never argued. The only noise that ever emanated from their home was the sound of Fred's renovation work, a string of home improvements that never seemed to end. Appearances can be deceiving, and inside the walls of 25 Cromwell Street, things were so very different from the way they were perceived from the outside. Rumours began to swirl, and the street was filled with whispers that one of the West children was being abused. An officer who just so happened to be patrolling the streets of Gloucester on August 3, 1992, PC Stephen Burnside was approached by two young girls who said they were worried about their friend. PC Burnside was informed that in an upstairs bedroom of the West's home, one of the children had been raped by their father. The authorities were quick to act. The visit did not come soon enough. The horrors specially trained officers came to learn required that all five of the children who lived at 25 Cromwell Street be promptly removed from their parents' care. Based on the evidence gathered, Fred and Rose West were arrested. Rose faced a charge of cruelty 
and encouraging the commission of unlawful sexual intercourse with a child. Her husband Fred was charged with three counts of rape and one count of buggery. Their home was searched, and sex aids, leather straps and buckles, rubber underwear, and extreme pornography, some produced by Fred and his wife, were recovered from the property. The case began to work its way through the legal system, and a trial was due to take place in June 1993. During that time, another of Fred's daughters was interviewed, and she also described to the police the horrific abuse she had suffered. Coincidentally, she had been unable to track down her biological mother, who was Fred's first wife. While Fred West had previously been viewed as a model citizen, it was clear the residents of Cromwell Street barely knew him. He had appeared 11 times before the courts. Predominantly, the charges related to motoring offences, petty theft and receiving stolen goods. Although, when he was younger, Fred was accused of raping a 13-year-old girl. However, the case collapsed when the victim was unable to testify. History was destined to repeat itself. The case against Fred and Rose West was built on the testimony from one of their daughters. However, when she was required to provide evidence before the court, the child found the process too difficult to bear. She was unable to speak about what happened, not least in front of a room full of people. Despite being abused by her parents, she still wanted to go back and live with her mother and father. Her half-sister, who had reported further abuse to the police, also did not want to continue the case against her father and stepmother, concerned that she would cause additional suffering to her younger sibling. The prosecution against Fred and Rose West was now impossible. The case was dropped. In spite of escaping any charges, the spotlight was still firmly on Fred and Rose West. Social services made sure that any children did not return to Cromwell Street. Rose was a mother to eight, Heather, Stephen and May, who were all adults. Stephen and May lived nearby, and according to her parents, Heather moved out when she was 16. Five other children raised by Fred and Rose had been living at the property before they were taken into care. Their names will not be mentioned on this podcast. Before Fred and Rose met, Fred had one daughter, Anna Marie, with his first wife, and the couple also looked after Fred's stepdaughter, Charmaine. Anna Marie, or Anne Marie as she would go on to be known, had since moved out and it was claimed by Fred and Rose that Charmaine went to live with her mother when she was eight years old. In 1993, Heather West, the eldest of Rose's children, would have then been 22, but she had not been seen or heard from in six years. No one had any idea where she was. The only people who seemed to have an answer were her parents, they provided a number of varying stories as to her whereabouts. They insisted the last they knew she had moved to Devon before relocating to Bristol, then Birmingham. In spite of the confusion as to Heather's location, her parents had never reported her missing. What's more, no one had heard from Fred's previous wife, Rena. She was the mother to Charmaine, who, as coincidence would have it, had also not been seen for over two decades. In 1971, Charmaine's school in Gloucestershire was told she would no longer be attending. All these missing people could not be ascribed to mere happenstance. 
some friends and neighbours occasionally asked about Heather's whereabouts, although their inquiries were never fully answered. Fred told one of Heather's uncles that she had gone off to be with a woman who drove a blue mini, an oddly specific piece of information. The front door at Cromwell Street never seemed to be closed to any lodgers or teenage runaways, and as some of the West children have found a place of their own, Heather's absence did not seem out of the ordinary. The address was registered with a local authority, as somewhere that welcomed anyone who found themselves homeless, so then the Wests had been viewed as nothing more than kindly residents of Gloucester. Furthermore, alarm bells were hindered from being rung regarding missing people at the address, as the lack of communication between local authority agencies exacerbated the issue. The city council and county council operated in silos and did not share information. The management of social services moved from city to county, and during that transition, records were lost. The city council managed housing, and the county council managed the safety of children. This information was never cross-referenced. When a homeowner wanted to set up their property to help the homeless and register an address with the local authority, no checks on their background were completed. This would only apply if they were caring for children or the elderly. Weeks after Heather West was last seen in 1987, queries about her whereabouts began to dissipate. This coincided with the delivery of some concrete paving slabs at the West's home. Towards the end of 1992, Detective Constable Hazel Savage was involved in the initial investigation into the abuse allegations against Fred and Rose West. DC Savage had a great deal of expertise with adolescents and looked into their daughter Heather's circumstances. When the West children had been interviewed and asked about their sister... DC Savage heard that more than one of them had mentioned a family anecdote to a social worker. Heather was not missing. She was buried under the patio in the garden. Heather was meant to have left home when she turned 16. Still, when analysing the teenager's movements, the detective constable could find no record of Fred and Rose's daughter ever visiting a doctor, claiming any benefit payments or paying any tax. Coupled with this information and Savage's persistence that her supervisors look into the matter, a warrant was obtained to search the West's home on February 23, 1994. A day later, the Gloucestershire Constabulary descended on 25 Cromwell Street. When they arrived, Fred West was not home. He was still at work. His distraught wife asked her son Stephen to contact his father. A call was made to Fred West's mobile phone sometime around 1.50pm. Fred West was working on a job 20 minutes drive from his home. However, he did not make it back for four hours. What exactly he was up to during this period has never been established. That night, Fred went to the Gloucester Police Station voluntarily to offer a statement. It would not be until the following day, February 25th, that he was arrested. His wife was also taken into police custody and questioned at a separate station in Cheltenham. The police were unable to obtain any information from Rose. She seemed to be unwilling to answer most, if not all, of the questions about Heather. Rose West was released on bail. Unlike his wife, Fred seemed only too happy to talk to the police and help them with their inquiries. Over the next few days, 
he slowly began to reveal the true whereabouts of his daughter. Frederick Walter Stephen West appeared before Gloucester Magistrates Court on Monday, February 28, 1994, charged with the murder of his daughter, Heather. The charge sheet indicated that the killing occurred at some point over the last seven years. Between May 28, 1987, around the time Heather was last seen, and shortly before Fred West's arrest. The 52-year-old would continue to remain in police custody while the investigation was ongoing. His counsel offered no objections. At the time, details surrounding the case were in short supply, as reporting restrictions remained in place. Rose West had been arrested, although she was released on bail. She returned to her home on Cromwell Street, and initially refused to leave the property as a search for evidence continued around her. A reporter for the Guardian newspaper spoke with a local shopkeeper who said that he regularly saw Rose in the company of around half a dozen children. Neighbours were almost sure that the West family were foster parents due to the number of children and teenagers that often frequented their home. Charlie Keane, who lived at number 21 Cromwell Street, had known Fred West for the last 20 years. Fred would always wave to him in the mornings as he set off for work. Keane admitted to a reporter for The Guardian that in all that time, He had not learned the children's names, as he thought there were so many of them. Keane saw the family as, quote, perfectly normal. The West neighbour, Sean Hefferman, said that Fred was always helpful, willing to assist the locals with their landscaping. Residents of Cromwell Street were aware that around seven years earlier, when she was a teenager, Heather West had sought work in a holiday camp and they all just assumed that's where she went. Her younger sister May and brother Stephen lived locally. Stephen West was of the opinion that his sister was still alive, and appealed to her, asking that she get in touch. He told reporters Sidney Young and Christian Geisin that he was not aware of any reason why Heather would run away. She seemed cheerful, although he admitted she enjoyed her own company, a sentiment shared by her school friends, who remembered Heather wanting to join the army. Heather West was described as funny, but very insecure. Her brother said that she had been offered a job elsewhere when she was younger and simply left without any explanation. Stephen said that this was not something that surprised him, as she wanted little to do with the family. The police brought in a team of experts to begin digging up the 40 by 15 foot garden. An excavator was employed to help break through the concrete. It seemed the running joke told by the West family might be true after all. The smell was the first thing the officers noticed. What appeared to be Heather West's remains were discovered under the patio between a depth of three to five feet on February 26th, two days after the search team arrived. However, this first set of remains were not the only secrets that were buried beneath the earth. As curious locals watched from a distance, they could see a single bouquet of pink carnations that had been left outside 25 Cromwell Street. 
A police officer stood guard as forensic officers went about their business. It was clear from the evidence recovered that Heather's body had been buried naked. As remains were being pieced together and the police continued digging during the initial days of the search, officers realised that things were not adding up. They did not expect to find three femur bones. This indicated that there could be another victim. It was quickly understood that there were likely multiple bodies buried in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street, as bones were found in several locations. When a skull was discovered in another spot, officers were certain this was from a third body. A multiple murder inquiry was underway. The police were now certain they were dealing with a serial killer. In what was described as an archaeological dig, Professor Bernard Knight, a home office pathologist, oversaw removal of the remains. It was not an easy process. The most meticulous of procedures needed to be followed in order to preserve evidence. We are sifting material through a sieve, and that takes a monumental amount of time the head of Gloucestershire CID told a reporter for the Daily Mirror. The remains were transported to Cardiff University to be examined by experts. Not all of the victim's bones had been buried. Some were missing. A spokesperson for the Gloucestershire Police frankly admitted that the investigation was challenging. Due to the passage of time and the condition of the remains, DNA analysis was one possible way to identify the victims, although this would take time. The property was again emptied, along with removing an axe, hammers, gardening implements, whips and sexual aids. Further home movies were also recovered from the property. Pornographic in nature, they would need to be reviewed in order to identify the people recorded. Perhaps once the police had identified the individuals, then officers could learn if they were the victims and if their remains were buried in the garden. The police had so far released no information about the age or sex of the other two bodies they had discovered under the patio in the garden. The first victim was almost certainly Heather West, although a formal identification of her remains had not yet been completed. Her body was found on Saturday, February 26th, and then two more bodies were discovered two days later. Police were determined to examine every inch of the garden, and it was clear there were many members of the wider West family so officers were in the process of understanding who they were and how many of them were still alive. Gloucestershire Social Services were engaged as some of the children had since been taken into care. They were asked what they knew. A family friend who did not wish to provide her name said how she had babysat the West children when she was a teenager. She remembered numerous comings and goings, especially during the late hours. Her children, who were friends with the West family, often visited 25 Cromwell Street. They played in the garden, and on one occasion, when inside the house they described how they saw a piece of carpet that covered a trap door to a cellar. Chalking this up as nothing more than an active imagination, their mother did not think more of it until Fred and Rose West were arrested. It makes me shudder to think about it, she said. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's devastating. You know, it's, it's just shocked. It shocked me to think, you know, just the one, how many more are they going to find? You know, you walk down the street and then you, you think, you know, is there going to be another body there? You know, how is it going to affect people? 
No, it's really shocked me. You just wonder how can you live next door to somebody and not know? You read about these things, you never think it's going to happen on your doorstep. Town like Gloucester, you wouldn't expect it. You know, you hear of it in other countries, but where you live is really devastating. Fred West had constructed a single-storey extension that would need to be demolished to aid in the search. The morbid discoveries also demanded that searches be completed at the family's previous properties. Detective Superintendent John Bennett, who would become the figurehead of the investigation, was interviewed by a reporter for the Evening Standard. We will continue our excavations until we are satisfied that there are no more bodies or evidence to uncover, he said. In charge of the 30-man police team, Detective Superintendent John Bennett. The copper's copper is the phrase used most often of the man who's suddenly getting used to the glare of TV lights and the constant attention of the world's media. I have reason to believe that there may be other remains in the area, but I am not in this position at this time to explain that further. Uh, We will continue to excavate. D.S. Bennett spoke with a noticeable Gloucestershire accent and although he was not someone who took pleasure in addressing a large number of reporters, he was described as a hard-working, respected detective that would allow the evidence to lead the way, not be dictated by a single theory. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fred West's brother Doug was interviewed, along with his wife, Christine. They were shocked at the revelation that Fred was suspected of multiple murder. Christine West said that Fred was like his daughter Heather, gentle and quiet. We all want to wake up from this terrible nightmare, she remarked. 
Doug West said of his brother. Fred would not hurt a fly. He just did his work and loved his family. They were the two loves of his life. And now he's supposed to be a murderer. Police have so far been unsuccessful in their nationwide attempt to trace West's first wife, Catherine Rena Costello. It's thought she moved to Scotland more than 15 years ago, possibly Lanarkshire. Gloucestershire police have asked the Missing Persons Bureau to help. The Bureau's co-founder, Maggie Sutton, says they've been inundated with calls from relatives of people who've gone missing over the years. Numerous calls from distraught relatives, absolutely terrified that their bodies could be their missing loved ones. And as we are um, a charity set up to offer advice and support to those left behind, we're doing all we can. Detective Superintendent John Bennett confirmed one of the bodies was Fred and Rose's daughter, Heather West. However, at this stage, neither of the other victims had been formally identified. There was some speculation. Several names were mentioned. The first was Mary Bastime, who was 15 when she went missing in 1968. Well, she came home about half past six and um, had her tea and sat in this corner where I'm sitting and um, enjoyed the Bernie Winter show. And she went out about um, between ten and quarter past seven with a carrier bag with a monopoly set in to catch the 25 past or about that time bus at uh, the end of Tuffley Avenue. And... um, That was the last we saw of her. As the snow fell on that chilly January night, the cafe waitress left her home on Rosebury Avenue in Gloucester, walking less than half a mile to catch a bus. Her parents believe she was headed to Tuffley Avenue, although a witness later came forward to say he saw her on Bristol Road. She was travelling to see her boyfriend, Tim Merritt. He lived in the village of Hardwick, just outside the border of Gloucestershire. Well, I was going up to meet her off the bus at half past seven, which arrived at the top of the, uh, by the morning star at half past seven. Well, I waited for the half past 7.30 uh, bus, and that came along, and she wasn't on that, so I waited till the next bus, which I thought was at eight o'clock, which it wasn't, in actual fact. There wasn't one at eight, so... I went back down home then until about 20 past eight and then came back up again to see the half past eight bus. There was a misunderstanding that uh, I told her it would be there at uh, a certain time and it wasn't. It it had been there a good bit earlier. Mary was carrying a game of Monopoly. Some of the pieces were later found scattered on the floor near the bus stop. They were the only thing that indicated she had been there. Perplexingly, her parents, Christian and Doreen, were later anonymously contacted by someone asking that they post an advertisement in a local Yorkshire newspaper, telling their daughter they forgave her for running away. The Bastomes followed the instructions, but they never heard anything more and their daughter remained missing. One thing I'll always say this, she didn't go away on her own. You see, what I mean to say, um, for a young girl like that to evade the police for so long, well, she'd have to be a master at the game, wouldn't she? Interestingly, Vincent Oakes, who lived a few doors down from the family, knew Mary. She disappeared at the start of 1968, but in the autumn of the previous year, Oakes claimed that he saw Mary with a man he did not know. The pair were spotted together nearly half a dozen times. When Oakes was out walking his dog, Mary was sitting in a vehicle, parked a few hundred yards away from her home with this mystery man. They were not doing anything out of the ordinary, and Mary seemed relaxed. Although things appeared innocent enough, 
It was not until the image of Fred West's face was plastered across every national newspaper in the country decades later that Vincent Oakes believed that he recognised the man he saw. Mary's neighbour reported the information to the police. Was it possible that the man in the vehicle with Mary was Fred West? Another name that came up during those early days of the investigation was Lucy Partington. In 1973, she left a friend's home in Cheltenham around 10 past 10 on December 27th and was never seen again. Lucy was described as a serious-minded but gentle girl. After celebrating Christmas with her parents in the village of Gretton, she went to see her friend Helen Render. Helen's home was located on Cull Ross Close. Lucy planned on catching a bus off Evesham Road, travelling back to her parents' property, a journey of around 11 miles. The 21-year-old was in her third year studying English literature at Exeter University. She also vanished without a trace and had not been seen or heard from since. Well, Lucy's the kind of student that the public doesn't hear about very often, in that she was dedicated and serious and enjoyed her work and was no trouble and was happy. Um, she was totally committed. She was a very balanced person and she had a tremendous social conscience. She did a lot of work in the community, both the university community and in the community of the town. For her to walk off, it seems to me to be very unlikely what I, I knew of her. Um, I certainly hope that she's still alive, but my own feelings are that she isn't voluntarily keeping out of contact. The day before she left Exeter to come home, um, Lucy and three of her friends in that group had tea with me and we ate toast and honey in front of the fire. And by chance we did in fact discuss hitchhiking and Lucy was uh, strongly against it and always had been. She was persuading one of the other girls in the group not to hitchhike home. You know, I think that whatever has happened to her was against her will. I'm quite convinced myself that she meant to catch that bus. Um, I think that, you know, either... Well, I, I suppose she could have been forced into a car. I mean, obviously there was somebody else involved. She can't just have gone off by herself with no money or anything, or she would have been found by now. Um, there might have been one, at least one... Lucy's father, Roger, said it was possible his daughter's body could be one of those buried in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. He told reporter Sally Wheel, all of us have had 20 years to imagine all sorts of possible ways in which she might have met her death. The grief is still there. It's something one never forgets. But uncertainty is worse than certainty in this situation. The three-storey property on Cromwell Street was turned upside down as officers began unearthing not only what was buried in the garden, but what had been going on behind the four walls of the family home. Rooms throughout the property had been converted into several bedsits. On the attic floor was a bedroom that appeared to be wired for sound. A concealed microphone was embedded in the headboard. Only Fred, Rose and a handful of guests ever entered that room. On the middle floor was Fred and Rose's bedroom. On the ground floor, Fred had constructed a makeshift bar in the living space, with several bottles of spirits hanging upside down from dispensers. The children's bedrooms were also on this level. Although it was a three-storey property, there was a fourth level underground. A trapdoor led down some stairs to a large cellar that had been converted into several pine-clad rooms. 
based on the decor and cuddly toys that were left on the beds. The two rooms seemed to be where children would sleep. The rooms were examined, and peepholes were found in the walls along with some audio and video equipment. As half a dozen officers dressed in yellow forensic suits had broken ground in the garden, unearthing the secrets that were buried beneath the patio, reporters, photographers and multiple camera crews surrounded the house. They were fighting for the best angle, desperate to capture an image or record some footage of the officers as they went about their duties. Scene of crime officers thoroughly sifted through each shovel of soil, looking for minute fragments of bone or some small piece of evidence that might make sense of what had happened in that property all those years ago. Fred West again appeared before the court, this time facing two further counts of murder, bringing the total charges against him to three. In a previous hearing, he had been charged with the murder of his daughter, Heather. Although a formal identification had not been completed, detectives felt confident they had identified a second victim. She was believed to be Shirley Ann Robinson, a name that had not been previously mentioned in connection with the investigation. She was 18 at the time of her death, and it was clear, based on some further remains found with her, she was heavily pregnant at the time. How exactly she was connected to Fred West and the Cromwell Street address had yet to be explained. As Fred West stood in the dock of Gloucester Magistrates Court, he appeared unsteady on his feet. His face was pale. When the two new murder charges were read aloud, West shook. Then, when the details of the previous charge in which it was alleged he had murdered one of his daughters, Heather, the defendant collapsed. Two officers who had been escorting him carefully helped West to his feet as the legal proceedings were briefly halted. West was given time to compose himself. Drinking a glass of water, he spoke with his solicitor Howard Ogden before telling the court he was in a fit state to continue. Other than confirming that he felt better and understood the charges, these were the only words West uttered to the court officials. West's solicitor confirmed that his client had no objections to the remand conditions. The judge explained that reporting restrictions would still remain in place. This meant further press speculation would continue as to the identity of the victims and their connections to Fred West. Howard Ogden felt that given the case was being covered in minute detail by every major newspaper nationwide, it would prove difficult for his client to receive a fair hearing. Senior Investigating Officer D.S. Bennett appealed to the public to please come forward if they had known Shirley Ann Robinson. Shirley, born in October 1959, had apparently been a lodger at the West's home, although then detectives did not know for how long. A picture was released in the hope it would jog someone's memory. The authorities were trying to retrace her movements through Bristol, Leicestershire and where she was raised in Wolverhampton before she took up lodgings on Cromwell Street. There had been rumours that the third set of remains found in the garden belonged to Fred West's first wife, Rena Costello. She had not been seen for a considerable period of time. The couple were married in 1968 when Rena was 18. They had looked after two children, Charmaine, who was not fathered by Fred, 
and Anne-Marie. Rena, or Catherine as she was formerly known, had not been seen in the last two decades by either of her four sisters. She did not appear to be in Scotland where she previously lived. The two children were left in Fred's care. Although Anne-Marie was identified in some of the family photos retrieved from the house, worryingly like her mother, there appeared to be no recent records of Charmaine West either. However, the theory that Fred buried his first wife's body in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street had to be discounted when an initial examination of the third body was undertaken. Pathologist Professor Bernard Knight concluded the remains were that of a female in her early 20s. At that point, Rena Costello would have been only a few months away from her 50th birthday. An exact cause of death for the third victim was as of yet unknown, and it would take a considerable amount of time to find out. The revelation that Fred West was being accused of murdering at least three young women and burying them in his garden was front-page news across the country. Journalists were keen to understand how his alleged actions had gone unnoticed for so long, considering one of his own daughters was confirmed to be a victim. Reporter Christian Geisen had been speaking to West's relatives, and he came to learn that following the announcement... Fred's brother, John West, had a suspected heart attack when he was informed what had happened. In an interview from his home in Gloucester, John West, who was a year younger than Fred, said that he remembered the last time he saw Heather. She was speaking about a job opportunity at a holiday camp. She looked incredibly excited at the prospect, although that was seven years ago. John West said that he had visited the home on Cromwell Street several years earlier and even asked how Heather was. Her father, Fred, said that she was doing fine. John West said, It is hard to imagine what they are saying about Heather being buried in the back garden of their home. Everything seemed so normal. Normal was a word that everyone who orbited the life of Fred West used when describing him or his family. However, the situation was anything but normal. By day nine of the search, the prevailing theory suggested there were no further remains in the garden. In one final push, a machine equipped with ground-penetrating radar was employed to check for any masses or objects that appeared out of the ordinary. Detectives also finally managed to track down Shirley Ann Robinson's mother. She saw the news reports and was distraught that her daughter was named as one of the women found. Progress identifying the third victim was painfully slow but D.S. Bennett said calls from the public had been promising. Along with his colleagues, the detective did not believe any more bodies would be found and hoped that they would soon be bringing the investigation to a close. Gloucestershire police trawled through public records. They realised that although Fred West married Rena, or to use her full name, Catherine Bernadette Costello, at Ledbury Registry Office on November 17, 1962, a divorce was never finalised. He was still married when he tied the knot with Rose West in 1972. On both certificates, he described himself as a bachelor. It added yet another layer of mystery to the circumstances of Rena Costello's disappearance, not to mention her daughter Charmaine. They were nowhere to be found. 
This meant the Department of Social Services had some difficult questions to answer. A year before Charmaine disappeared, it was discovered that along with Anne-Marie, she had briefly been taken into care. When she was returned to the care of her stepfather, there was neither a follow-up to check on her welfare, nor was her mother Rena contacted to discuss her children's well-being and Charmaine's location. No one involved in the matter would offer a statement on the record as to what happened. However, it appeared off the record. This was due to the fact that Fred West had voluntarily engaged with the Department of Social Services. While trying to resolve issues with his first wife, Rena, Charmaine and Anne-Marie were placed into care by Fred intentionally, although only for a few weeks. Rena Costello's cousin was interviewed and told reporter Jeremy Armstrong that all the family wanted was to know what happened. Talking about Rena, Annie Cousin said, If she was alive, she'd have come forward. She was the kind who'd have wanted to put her family's mind at rest. An appeal was made to the wider West family so detectives could piece together the family's movements and understand what happened to Rena Costello and her daughter Charmaine. Police had been hopeful that the discovery of the three bodies found buried in the garden of the West's home would bring to an end the horrific revelations on Cromwell Street. However, this seemed to be just the beginning. Before concluding the search, officers decided to scan the walls and floors with X-ray equipment. This would essentially allow them to see through the property so they could focus their efforts rather than raising the building to the ground. The equipment specialists employed was created to detect unexploded landmines planted during the conflict in the Falklands. It was obvious Fred West had made numerous alterations, not only an extension, but adjustments to the foundations. It was not long before something unusual was identified in the cellar. A dig team broke through the concrete and excavated the site. They found further human remains. At first glance, it appeared to be one body. Then it was two. Then, as more and more bones were found concealed in the earth, it was clear that the remains of five victims had been secreted away. And if that was not enough... After a search of the rooms throughout the house, a ninth body was found under the floor of a bathroom, hidden in a makeshift concrete grave. Shocked neighbours in Gloucester's Cromwell Street learned with horror at the weekend that the number of bodies unearthed at number 25 had doubled. The latest bodies have been found in the cellar of the house. The remains of three other people were found at the weekend. Detectives believe all were female. West, who lived at the address for 20 years, is accused of three murders. They include that of his daughter, Heather, who was 16 when she vanished seven years ago. The other alleged victims are a pregnant former lodger, 18-year-old Shirley Ann Robinson, and an unidentified woman in her early 20s. Finding another body at 25 Cromwell Street has become a macabre and sadly predictable routine, which the people of Gloucester are learning to take in their stride. And the police investigation has now turned into one of Britain's biggest ever probes into an apparent serial killing. This is the end of episode one. You can hear more on the case of Fred and Rose West next week. And please make sure to follow They Walk Among Us on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode.
Thank you for listening. Special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Alan Shanahan, and everyone who supports us through Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.